Coming up on today's show, Game Freak has a new game they're working on. Nintendo is all over the news, and apparently you can have sex in a jetpack in Starfield? Sounds cool. Welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and of course, the funny stuff every Friday. I am one of your hosts, Andrea Renee, joined by my partner in crime, Miss Brittany Brombacher. Hello, friends. Before we went live, I think we decided we have a new business plan, and we are going to be the What's Good Moms, aka Miss Rachel content, but for video games and alcohol. Yes, we were talking right? about how we're Ms. Rachel stands, and if you are a parent of a toddler, you probably know who I'm talking about, and if you're not, you're like, who the F is Ms. Rachel, and I would encourage you to go seek her out, subscribe to her channel. We were talking about how wonderful she is, and we want to do more stuff with Ms. Rachel. <laughs> Please. <laughs> anyway, that's the moms and us talking. It has nothing to do with video games, by the way. We were actually talking about how wild our schedule is around all of the stuff happening across Summer Games Fest that's coming up, which is very exciting, which we're going to talk about in just a little bit. But I want to take a moment here because we didn't get an opportunity to do so on the show last week because we recorded it in advance of our anniversary stream. To say thank you to everybody who showed up to our stream, who had fun with us in the chat, who's watched the VOD, who has supported us and our brand since we launched back in May of 2017. Thinking that we've been doing this, Brittany, for six years is still mind-boggling. Oh, I can't. I mean, six years. Like, that is such a long time. It was like, oh, six years. It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, I can count on one hand the amount of people I've known for six years and actually, like, kept in constant contact with. And I feel like I've talked to you, like, at least once a week. For six years now. And that is yeah. fucking awesome. And also, I loved that stream because you brought me so many tequila shots. <laughs> I, did. I, I, I did. I yes, we, we drank a fair amount of Patron. I wish they had sponsored the stream. That would have been nice. <laughs> I think the last one I remember taking is when I was doing Brit Ross. And before I knew it, you had, I think, was it a double? It looked like it was a double shot. It was one of those tall shot glasses. They were, they were tall. Yes. They were great. Yeah, it went down like water, though. I man. will say Rihanna poured the last one, so that's on her. Okay, well, that is her fault then. Thanks, Rhi. Oh, yeah, Rhi's not here right now, by the way. <laughs> She's not. She's taking the week off because she has life stuff going on, which we all mm -hmm. do from time to time, but she will be back soon. So yes. uh, don't fret, everybody. But thank you again for coming and joining us. We had a great time. And if you guys missed the anniversary stream, highly recommend you check it out either at twitch.tv slash what's good games or youtube.com slash what's good games. I want to say thank you to this month's Patreon producers before we get into our housekeeping because you guys are the ones that make it all happen. Chewy's Godson, Alex Rogopoulos, Ferris Atia, Justin Foshi, and Punctified. Thank you for supporting us and your continued support of our brand. And if you guys want to help support What's Good Games, patreon.com slash what's good games is the best place to do so. Or if you're like, hey, Andrea Britt, we love the show. Love listening. Don't have any bucks to throw your way because times are a little tight for me right now. We just ask for maybe a couple of minutes of your time because time is technically not costing dollars. And hopefully you could give it to us by leaving us a wonderful five-star review. Like a quick GBR from Great Britain. I don't know what the hell that accent was. Quick GBR. I apologize. I'm always going to fuck it up forever and ever. Yep. But thank you so much for the five-star review. It's always fun to know when we have listeners across the pond. Across the pole one day, oi, gov. I don't know what the fuck. Yeah, thank you so what much. What did you think about the coronation, Britt? Did you watch any of the pomp and circumstance? It, it looked like someone bought terrible cosmetics in an epic game store, and then they put them on for dress up for like Halloween or something, and I saw the picture, and I was like, listen, I've played too many video games to think that anyone wearing those sort of robes looks like a good person. They all look like villains to me. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> You know what I mean? I can't the help it. Shade. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, he's holding like that little orb looking thing. And I'm like, you know, that's probably like plus 10 to his necromancy skill. I don't know what's going on with it. And that's about as far as I got. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Some yeah. of the costumes were intense, <laughs> to put it mildly. Yeah. Um, but we do love all of our fans in the Great Britons. And hopefully we'll get back there and do another meetup because that was very, very mm -hmm. fun. Mm -hmm. This show is also brought to you by ExpressVPN, but we'll tell you more about that later. Brittany. Yeah. 
today is technically when the show goes live. If you're listening to this on published day, Friday, May 12th, which <gasps> is a pretty big day, Brittany, for you. <clears throat> As I put in our end <laughs> housekeeping, happy Tears of the Kingdom launch day, you Korok-loving bitches. Don't call me. Don't text me. Pretend I don't exist. I'm probably banging <sighs> Ganon outside of the castle ruins in the Hyrule's plan of existence. I cannot believe this day is here. I, I don't even, Andrew, I love you. Don't even think about it. You know what I mean? Like, just forget. Yeah. Forget I'm a human on this planet come this day. Because I am going to. I got babysitting all set up. I got my. my That's board. some pro-level strats right there. Girl, I got my Chipotle primed and ready to go in DoorDash. I am not leaving my house. I am not showering. I am taking my child to his grandparents' house. And I am done. I told Jason, I said, block off your entire day. We are staying up all night. Get your caffeine ready. This is just like Zelda. It feels like a holiday is what it is. You know what I mean? It feels like we just get these these launches so infrequently that when they do happen, everyone is just so hyper-focused on it, as we all should be. I mean, Breath of the Wild, like, hello. I think that was the number one game in The Guardian. Was it The Guardian who did, like, the number, the top 100 video games? No, actually, uh, pushes up my glasses. It was, was it? GQ because oh, okay. I was one of the voting members That's of right. the jury panel. And uh, I tweeted about it. So if you want to know my personal top 10 ranked, oh. please go to at Andrea Renee on Twitter and you can see my personal. And send me your thoughts if you want. Oh. Are there a lot of games with a number two in them? Yes. I'm looking and I can't. Wow, girl. One, two, three, four. Like six out of your 10 are uh, number two games. When I finally settled on the list and I sent it over to GQ, to the editor I was working with there, I was like, I didn't intentionally try to pick all of these like sequel games. They just happen to all be like the better game of that franchise. I don't know. Well, that's what a sequel is supposed to be, right? Like improve on the first one with mistakes you've learned. And speaking of that, I do have a little minor bone to pick with Nintendo. And I'm not going to consider this a spoiler because they literally tweeted it out this morning. They tweeted this whole ass thing out about a feature coming to Tears of the Kingdom. And again, this is another reason why I'm so fucking incredibly excited for this game. Andrea, what is like one of the things, I mean, there's been a lot, but what is one of the things that I've requested the most from Tears of the Kingdom? Dungeons. Like one, yes. Thank you. Dungeons. You keep saying, I want more dungeons. I'm an old school Zelda stan. I need dungeons. Yeah, absolutely. So Nintendo and all Nintendo of America, 10 hours ago, which I don't know what time that is, like math is hard. Oh, 6.30 a.m. this morning, tweeted out, quote, the dungeons are huge and each carry their own regional look and feel. Quote, take a deep Ooh. dive into the Kingdom of Hyrule and the third chapter of our Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom Ask the Developer interview. I keep thinking that it's region size. Brittany, that's big. That's a big dungeon. Is that they're, what you had in mind? So their own regional look and feel. So how I interpret that oh, is like... Oh, look if you, and feel. Right, yeah, okay. yeah. So like if you're in a swamp, you're going to get a swamp. The point I'm getting at is this game is like, it's coming out tomorrow for us. Tomorrow at 9 p.m. Pacific, right? This is such a huge fucking thing. This is such a huge deal. The fact that you just tweeted out that dungeons exist from a developer quote is the most <laughs> anticlimactic bullshit I've ever seen. Like, you're not going to sell more copies from this tweet. Maybe like five. Who could say? All I know is I would have loved, I would have shit my pants, pissed myself, my brain would have exploded if I had came across my first dungeon not knowing that they exist. You know what I mean? This is how I'm told is this this fucking tweet. And it's so... Uh, I mean, hopefully I can get a vicarious thrill from the reviewers who maybe didn't know that Dungeons existed before they played. But now I know, which is A, very, very exciting. But also like, dang, like... A little anticlimactic. Oh, give me a trailer. Give me like a little peek. You know what I mean? Lift up the skirt a little bit. Let me get, see some legs, some thigh. But no, it's a fucking tweet from a quote. We can talk about our news now. We can, we can move on. I mean, speaking of Nintendo, the first news block is all Nintendo all the time. Nintendo Switch successor, which we've all been stipulating is going to happen. Is it going to be this year? Spoilers, Nintendo earlier said it's not happening this year. And now, turns out, it's not happening for another year, at least. Here's my thing. I don't blame news outlets for reporting on this because... Right now, you know, news is a little slim pickings as everyone's holding their cards in anticipation of Summer Game Fest happening. And we obviously have Xbox Showcase, Ubisoft Forward, a lot of stuff happening in a couple of weeks. But like, this is nothing new. We knew that Nintendo was going to put something out. But Bloomberg says Nintendo president Shantaro Furukawa explained during an investor's presentation that it isn't considering new hardware in the 2023-2024 financial year. That means that Nintendo's next console won't be released until after April 2024 at the earliest 
This comes despite a decline in switch sales, which that is a loaded sentence, despite a decline in switch sales. But by the way, switch has been crushing it for like three or four years in a row. So yeah, eventually the sales have to slow down at some point. (laughs) The console has sold close to 18 million units just in the last financial year, down from 23 million sold the year before and 28 million sold before that. Sustaining the Switch's sales momentum will be difficult in its (laughs) seventh year. Seventh year. (laughs) Our goal of selling 15 million units this fiscal is a bit of a stretch, said Furukawa-san, but we will do our best to bolster demand going into the holiday season so we can achieve that goal. Dude, 15 million (gasps) as a goal is sneeze at, is that the same? Whatever. Like, that's that's a large amount of units. Yes. And I still, I think this can be reached. I mean, I know, I don't know the Venn diagram is of people who haven't bought the Switch OLED yet, but you know, maybe there, I know there are some people, I think Reed just upgraded, right? That have their launch switch and maybe with Zelda coming out and they got their launch switch with Breath of the Wild and now they're like, oh, this would be a good opportunity to get the new shiny fancy thing. And I think you're going to see a lot more OLEDs being sold, especially with Breath of the Wild right around the corner. And I mean, I still think we're getting a Mario game this year or at least an announcement. I want to say it's actually coming. I'm, I'm, I'm believing in that. I mean, I well, think they can hit this. Remember, they announced they're coming to Gamescom. They announced Nintendo Live here in the United States. And also this week, Reed Pop announced that Nintendo Live is going to coincide with PAX West yes. in Seattle. And Nintendo has historically had a big presence there because their North American headquarters are in Washington. So that feels like a good time to make some announcements. And in case you didn't also see, because Nintendo is, you know, having a bunch of announcements this week, they confirmed that the Nintendo Switch has sold over 125 million units. (laughs) 125 million Nintendo Switches! So that has to make it top five at least top it's some, top two i believe top two or okay so i know playstation 2 is up there or and maybe then it I was imagine three probably i the, thought playstation 2 was still on top that makes sense and then i think it's one mm. of the handhelds is it the ds that's beneath that and then beneath that i guess that that would be the switch wouldn't it that is an unreal good job nintendo I know you wouldn't have been successful if it wasn't for us recording this and yeah. clapping and singing your praises right now because, you know, we have You were correct, the Nintendo. So at the number in the number one spot, which I think is going to be hard, if not impossible, to topple for a variety of reasons, which we've talked about in this yeah. show many times. PlayStation 2, okay. uh, 155 million units. And then Nintendo DS is in the second okay. spot. Just underneath them, 154 million units. And then Nintendo Switch... Just charging up that mountain. But can Nintendo Switch sell another 25 million units? I don't think so. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, but I don't think so. 15 million, they say, is a stretch. Well, they say they didn't hit their goal, right? And then they're in their seventh year. I think they could hit their goal for Nintendo Switch if they release a Nintendo Switch Pro and then, you know, lump those sales under the oh, Nintendo yeah. Switch banner and have a myriad of upgrades. But... Yeah, As we've man. already heard, and what the story is telling us is that ain't coming this year, ain't yeah. coming next year. And if it does, it's probably not going to happen until holiday next year. Yeah. So. Isn't that just wild? Like, this console is so old. <laughs> it's so it's, it's weird to say it's old, but I yeah. Know, it is. Seven, yeah. Seventh year, man. Like, that's a whole ass <sighs> console cycle, right? They're it's, just trucking along with their ancient technology. Um, it sure is. Yeah. And Brittany, would you like to continue this Nintendo numbers News I would brigade. love to. <laughs> it's great with great, I guess, happiness and also sadness. I'll get into that in a minute. This also comes from IGN. Metroid Prime Remastered sells 1 million units. Pokemon and Splatoon 3 also hit major milestones. So Metroid Prime <laughs> Remastered has sold 1 million copies since it launched in February, while Splatoon 3 and Pokemon Scarlet and Violet have also hit milestones. So in the recent financial support, Metroid Prime Remastered, we talked about that. Splatoon 3, here we go, also followed through on its impressive launch to sell more than 10 million units, while Scarlet and Violet have now passed the 20 million unit milestone. And it goes on to say, sitting at 20.7 million units sold through consumers and 22.1 sold to retailers, Scarlet and Violet are up 2 million from the figures released in February, but still fall a little short of 2019's Sword and Shield, which currently sits at 25.8 million units sold to retailers. Oh, man. So, so much. So if you're wondering, that now makes it the seventh best selling software. So it's behind Odyssey, 
Sword and Shield, Breath of the Wild, Smash Bros. Ultimate, Animal Crossing New Horizons, and Mario Kart 8 Deluxe is in first yeah, place. Yeah, Animal Crossing! The They're surprise like, sleeper hit of the pandemic! Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, I don't want to be, and we'll be talking more about Pokemon adjacent stories in a little bit. You know, it's the thing that we talk about every time a Pokemon game comes out. I think the state that this game, Scarlet and Violet, released in is completely unacceptable, but yet again, here you go, 20 million units sold, and it's just going to keep going up, up, up. We got some DLC coming, so, you know, have you gone back to play to see if they've, you know, patched anything? No, but I paid attention to all the patch notes that come out, and no, they have not addressed. They've addressed like some specific bugs, but the performance issues as a whole, no, they have not been fixed. Why would you, Andrea? Why would you? <laughs> I mean, if I was Nintendo, I wouldn't spend money on it if I sold 20 million units of it being broken. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. And therein lies the problem, friends. <sighs> yes. Indeed. Anyway. Indeed. Anyway, anyway, cool, cool. Like, none of this is actually, like you said, surprising. We all knew Pokemon was going to sell a buttload. I mean, it only makes sense that the Switch would start slowing down in its seventh fucking year of being on the market. Obviously, like, we're not getting a Switch Pro anytime this year. So, or Switch 2, whatever it's going to be at this point. But still, we got to stay on top of our uh, our Nintendo news. I feel like we've been covering this Nintendo Pro since What's Good Games Live. Like the Monday show we used to do. I feel like we've been talking yes. about it since then. Yeah, yeah. No, since 2020. Yeah, 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 because that was three years into the Nintendo life cycle, which felt like a natural time to bring in a different skew. Yeah. But, you know, the pandemic obviously changed a lot of things for everybody. And Nintendo, I think, was like, well, we're still doing okay. And we don't need to do another skew right now. So why would we? Let's just wait until it's ready. And when it's ready, everybody that already bought a Nintendo Switch, whether it's like the light or the OLED, will want to buy another one because we're suckers. Oh, yeah, girl. Oh, yeah. I got (laughs) four of those bitches. And obviously because we love Nintendo and Nintendo products. But I'm not surprised that they're waiting. All right. Let's take a quick break to hear from this week's sponsor. And we'll be right back with some more news. This week's episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Did you ever read the fine print that appears when you hit that incognito mode browser tab? I bet you haven't actually read it, but maybe if you have, you realize that it says that your activity may still be visible to your employer, your school, or your internet service provider. I hate to break it to you, but someone definitely knows that you're looking up Zelda fanfic in your spare time. (laughs) To really stop people from seeing the sites that you visit, we keep telling you, you need to use ExpressVPN. Think about all the times that you've used Wi-Fi at a coffee shop, a hotel, or maybe even your parents or your friend's house. Without ExpressVPN, every site you visit could be logged by the administrator of that network. And that's still true even when you're in incognito mode. I mean, do you really want your barista or even your parents looking at what you're browsing at online? What's more, your home internet provider can also see and record your browsing data, which means in the U.S., they're even legally allowed to sell it to advertisers, which is icky. ExpressVPN is an app that encrypts all of your network data and reroutes it through a network of secure servers so that your private online activity stays just that, private. ExpressVPN works on all of your devices and is super easy to use. The app literally has one button. You tap it to connect and your browsing activity is secure from prying eyes and you can enjoy your fanfic with peace of mind. So stop letting strangers invade your online privacy. Protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash what's good games. Use our link at expressvpn.com slash what's good games and you'll get an extra three months free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash what's good games to learn more. Brittany, have you ever thought about having sex while wearing a jetpack in space? With you, yeah, girl, all the time, every day. Oh, that's what I was hoping to hear. Apparently, according to IGN, Starfield's ESRB rating has revealed the game has got drugs, in-game purchases, shock. And jetpack sex, the real reason we're here, everybody. (laughs) Jetpack sex is the only thing that matters. So the ESRB, the Entertainment Software Ratings Board, which shout out to our interview we did with Patricia Vance, the head of the ESRB. If you guys missed that wonderful interview talking about 
who the ESRB is, all of the different missions that they have, I highly recommend you just go to our channel and type in ESRB and that interview will come up. Give it a listen. They've given Starfield an M for mature 17 plus rating for blood, strong language, suggestive themes, use of drugs, and violence, which I don't think anybody is surprised about. (laughs) Many of these classifications are pretty standard, but the rating summary is followed with some very interesting details. Mm -hmm. First off, it confirms, as if anyone needed confirmation, that Starfield is an open-world role-playing game. Shocking, Bethesda game? What? What? Now, <laughs> you assume the role of a miner tasked with finding artifacts across the galaxy. That seems a little bit reductive, but sure, we'll take it. Uh, no spoilers. <laughs> it will feature character interactions, quests, futuristic guns, lasers, axes, and explosives. Why not? Axes. Why axes are the one weapon that's specifically called out? I have a question for Patricia about. Can you please tell me what part of the ESRB process is triggered by axes? I want to know. The rating summary then gives some specific examples of suggestive material in the dialogue, specifically after they share a bed with another character. Quote, the game contains some suggestive material in the dialogue, and after sharing a bed with characters... Oh, there's a bunch of stuff in parentheses. Life is a sexually transmitted disease that's 100% fatal. So these are the quotes that the characters sometimes will say. What is what is this quote? Life is a sexually transmitted disease that's 100% fatal. I, is that just a, like a cheeky way of saying everybody dies? I think it is. But like, I love that this apparently comes <laughs> after you bang someone. Could you imagine like you, you're done with your business and then someone looks at you in the eye and drops this knowledge on you? <laughs> I'd be like, like, did you have something to tell me before we banged? <laughs> The next quote, I'm all for getting a little wild, but next time, let's try it without the jetpacks. <laughs> Whoa, but why though? Jetpack sex sounds so reasonable and attainable and definitely not going to break or strain anything at all. Like, I'm really like trying to imagine, like, maybe this is just two people getting frisky and they have jetpacks on and they take off their pants and bump uglies. Like, okay, cool. But in like my perfect world, these are two people flying through space, like two fucking dragonflies attached to one another, just like doing the deed as they're just like gallivanting through space and time. That's what I want to see happen. You know what I mean? I love that desire. I'm with you. Thank you. My gut tells me it's instead like a dissolve to black. Like they're making out, getting hot and heavy, dissolve to black. They wake up with like their cigarettes naked in their spacesuits or whatever. <laughs> and then someone drops the line, life is like a sexually transmitted disease. Yes. That's 100% fatal. And then... And then they're like, next time, you know, no jetpacks. <laughs> so... <laughs> I hope they animate it. Please animate this. I feel like, I mean, they're not going to animate it, but something would be fun. I want to know how this happens. You know I mean? Apparently, Brittany, it's because the characters in the game are under the influence of a fictional drug, according to the summary, that's called Aurora. It'll be prominent in the game, and it states that Starfield will feature a section with players' characters working in an illicit drug lab. Oh. Aurora can be stolen or purchased from vendors, and using Aurora will result in a distortion effect on the screen. You know, I gotta admit, this has me more hype for this game. I know I sound like a horny teenager, but like, I don't care. Give me drugs and violence and and jetpack sex. I'm like, yeah, this sounds fucking awesome. I'm all for it. No, I mean, like, honestly, this... The mature rating doesn't surprise any of us. And I'm happy that they're yeah. leaning into this more mature stuff and these more mature themes. Not not surprising again, it's a Bethesda game. Because, and this is a thing that I'll be talking about in the future when I can. But I love it when games mature with their audiences. And like when I'm playing an RPG like this and I want to be completely immersed, like I don't want a game to shy away from this sort of thing because this could be like the real world for that game. And if you shy away from it, it's more blatantly obvious that it has been omitted for whatever reason it is. So like, yo, like, give me all of this. I, you know, I, I, the more I hear about like this sort of stuff, the more I'm like, okay, well, it sounds like there's a lot of inner workings to Starfield, which might pull me in because up until, you know, recently I haven't been the most, I'm excited for it because it is a Bethesda game, right? That's why I'm excited for it. But space has never been my jam. Bethesda games are just huge and (laughs) a massive undertaking. So I'm going into this with an open mind. I don't know. It sounds like a fun little kind of culture that they're they're making for themselves in here. I'm like, I'm all for it. Let's go. Let's do it. I also 
Would love to know who was the worker at the ESRB that had to write this description. That's something that we chatted with Patricia about off camera a little bit. And we sadly didn't get to have as long of a conversation about it as I would have liked because she's obviously a very busy woman. But the idea that these people who work at the ESRB have to play these games and evaluate them, it's a massive undertaking. It sounds like in your mind you're like, how hard could it be? I get paid to play a video game and tell you what's in it. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like on on a face level what it is, but it's actually not that. You actually have to replay sections over and over again to get the details right. You have to analyze it. You have to stop and go back. And it's not like you get to play it for funsies. Like you have to make some hard judgment calls about some stuff. So I thought, and let me know if I'm wrong, I thought they didn't actually play all the games. I thought they were sent like like a reel of like the worst of the worst and the best of the best. And from that, they have to make their, their rating judgment. It depends on the game, but you're correct for the vast majority of games because they literally can't play every single game that requests a rating. They get that, but some of them they do actually play. But it depends on uh, what state of the game is. Because remember, we're in an era where most of the time you don't get a build of a game that's not broken until the game actually comes out. And And even then, it's still broken. Yes. So that's why some things like slip through the cracks with ratings. But generally, the big publishers don't intentionally omit things because they don't want the very friendly eye of Sauron of the ESRB to be like, excuse me, you left out that one nipple in that one scene and we have to change the rating. Aliens feature nipples. One nipple. Oh, Listen, God. Sometimes aliens have six nipples and they leave one out. It happens. Yeah, I'm sure it does. Don't do that. Don't leave out your Turns nipples. Turns out that alien nipple. nipples, not a trigger for an ESRB rating. Anyway, we're down a rabbit hole. Speaking of rabbit holes, Pokemon? Does that work? No, not really. We're not actually talking about Pokemon in this story. You probably didn't hear this story because I feel like it kind of flew a little under the radar, which these new game IPs sometimes do until we actually see what the new IP is, but it's worth noting, Brittany, because one, oh. Game Freak is literally known for Pokemon. They've yeah. done other stuff and they've been around a long time. Yeah. But like they're clearly the Pokemon studio. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But they make Pokemon games. They announce alongside Private Division and Take Two Interactive that they are developing a new action adventure IP codenamed Project Bloom. And this is interesting because I would love to hear from you specifically. So hold your thoughts for just a moment while I read the story about what you think this game could be or what it could look like. So Game Freak has released a piece of concept art for Project Bloom, which is slated to launch during Take-Two's fiscal 2026, which is, you know, four years away, three years away, technically. What I think is important to remember here in this story is that it says, Private Division head Michael Warzaz says that you'll be hard-pressed to find a studio with more iconic hits over the past 30 years than Game Freak, adding that we're ready to help Game Freak unleash their potential. We're honored to be the first Western publisher to work alongside this exceptionally talented and proven team to bring a bold new IP to the market. So I think it's worth remembering that Game Freak has been around for a while. Founded in 1989, man. And Take-Two and uh, more specifically Private Division underneath Take-Two published Hades, The Outer World, Kerbal Space Program 2, Ollie Ollie World, and others. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they're great. Yeah. Brittany? Okay. okay. Yeah. I, mean, I, w- I want your tinfoil hat. <gasps> when I saw this, I was like, why is not everybody talking about this? Everyone's a fucking Pokemon fan, apparently, and when they're selling 20 gajillion copies of every game. Anyway, the question has always been, why are games like Pokemon Scarlet and Violet being launched in this state that they're in? Technically, terrible. They run, but it looks like it's completely unacceptable from an IP that generates so much revenue, right? And so the question is, why is this happening? Is it a lack of resources? Well, monetarily, it's hard to imagine, but we all know every game has a budget that they try to stick to. Is it because the games are on such a tight turnaround cycle, right? Maybe you have two to three years to put out a new game, and no matter how much budget you have, if you're spending that money on every contractor under the sun, like two years is only two years. So that is the question, Andrea. What could this game be? And I love this quote here from the head, Private Division's head. We're ready to help Game Freak unleash their potential. And that's like, boom, That that's what I'm so curious about. What is their potential? If Project Blooms turns out to be like a super smooth, 
polished AAA experience with a compelling story and smooth ass gameplay and and something different from what we've seen like i think then like you can't blame game freak for the state that pokemon is in when these games come out and you can't blame them for the lack of innovation over the course of you know its entire fucking existence and so that is why i am so excited for this we have so long to wait but as we see more and more i'm going to be watching this game like a hawk like a freaking freaking hawk because it is being a new ip that is bold and totally different from our prior work said game freaks director oh my god like this is such a big deal but i feel like no one's talking about it i don't know why is this (sighs) confirmation that nintendo was the one holding pokemon back as a franchise because we talked about that not that long ago how you and i both want game freak and nintendo to bring pokemon to the next level they clearly have the resources to do so why haven't they innovated Pokemon the way they innovated, you know, the Legend of Zelda franchise and the way that they've been doing with the Super Mario Brothers. Like, is it because they just keep selling? It's like, or is it because like like Game Freaks, like we want to make something wildly different. We're kind of tired of making Pokemon. And so finally they just said, okay, we're going to go outside of Pokemon. We're going to do something with somebody else. Yeah, that feels like that's what this is. That's a, yeah. And again, like when they use these quotes, unleash their potential like that, I feel like is such a fun quote. And I mean, I'm probably looking too much into it because I, I love this kind of shit. But to me, that tells us that they haven't had the opportunity to unleash their full potential. And I think that's kind of the general mindset of most Pokemon fans. Like, you know, when you see who developed Pokemon, well, it's like Game Freak. OK, well, how much is Nintendo playing to that? How much is the Pokemon company playing to that? What is the issue here? And I've been Googling and trying to find like what what was the budget for Pokemon Scarlet and Violet? Because we now, you know, we've seen a lot oh. of articles I know. Right? I doubt there'll ever be an article with real numbers. I know, and I, I try. We could maybe hear some whispers in the halls of GDC about like what the numbers for the budget were, like a published public number. Nah, nah, it ain't happening. So we know we've been seeing articles lately about people talking about how much it costs to make games. Was it today? I think they said the next GTA could be one to two billion dollars once you factor in marketing costs and you know up towards of five hundred million for the of development. Of course, yeah, like it's it's unreal. It's so much, and so <laughs> I just so curious because I put this out there and some people were like well you know they have so much money don't pretend like they don't have the money it's like it's not about the money obviously games have a budget games have a timeline and they have to work within that and they're obviously constrained by the Nintendo Switch hardware Uh because that's a proprietary game and the only place that we've seen Pokemon outside of Nintendo hardware is mobile which is even more constrained in a variety of ways I see that argument a lot too and obviously yeah that is a factor you're never going to get a game that looks like God of War or Red Dead Redemption on the switch and even if you're streaming it but i see other games like even breath of the wild as empty as that world was but then you have xenoblade chronicles 3 which was a huge world which you know it had some stuttering here and there but it got it ran good and so i just there's just really like there's no excuse for it and if ah that's why i am this is a game i am definitely like on my top list of stuff to watch for the years to come because my god like I just we're, this is so exciting. We're hawking you, Game Freak and Private Division. We're hawking yeah. you. Like, <laughs> what What can they make? What can they do? What? Oh, very exciting. This is incredibly exciting. Like, I'm stoked. This is well, keeping be, like, the good news splints. train a rolling. Guerrilla Games Horizon franchise, Horizon Zero Dawn and Horizon Forbidden West, has surpassed 32 million sales worldwide. This comes from Destructoid. Like, this is news that's incredible. It makes me so happy because I love both of those games. I think that they're amazing. And what Gorilla did to reinvent themselves as a studio with this is fantastic. So the number came in an anniversary post on the PlayStation blog because we know we just got the DLC, which I am planning to talk about on the show next week for Horizon Forbidden West has sold 32.7 million copies of Horizon Forbidden West. So that number isn't just like one or the other. It's both of the games together, which to me is still incredibly impressive for a single platform game. Like that's phenomenal. And all told, says Guerrilla Games director Jan Bart Van Beek, it's a milestone we never imagined possible 20 years ago when we first started making games. Mm-hmm. This reception has been staggering, and we're grateful to the community for the continued love and support of the franchise. 
We gorillas feel lucky to witness that support every day. We share community fan art and the cosplay. And I want you all to know that we are completely blown away by your enthusiasm. And I love hearing that story because as you know, small business owners who have started a creative endeavor together, the idea that, you know, you could one day grow your product to sell you know, over 30 million units of something is that's like it's like banana town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love that they're making such a big deal of this as they rightfully should. You should be proud of your work. But I always feel like folks are always so quick to kind of I don't want to say poo poo horizon. But when it comes to what's next for horizon, are they going to make another one? Are they going to convert it to just like a horizon MMO? It's like, no, like these games do incredibly well. And there's obviously they confirmed in here that there's more Aloy coming in a sequel to Forbidden West. So this game is going to continue going because it's incredibly successful. And it's it's just, I don't know, it just makes me happy to see this game perform so well. Obviously, like with a woman lead and all the other fun little things that happen in Aloy's adventures. Yeah, it's not a game that you see very often. Like, you, you know what I mean? It's just, Yes, and it's not just that the game has a female character as the lead. Guerrilla Games has Angie Smets, who doesn't get enough attention and love in the spotlight, who's a wonderful leader of Guerrilla Games as a studio. And there are so few women in positions of leadership for video game studios. So like, Angie, we see you. We're giving you a round of applause. And if you haven't gotten a pat on the back for just kicking ass and taking names lately, yeah. you deserve it. And, you know, someday, you know, PlayStation may allow us the opportunity to have her on the show because I would love to talk to her. I had the opportunity to run into her like on the street at GDC. Like I think it was the year after Forbidden West launched and I was just like trying not to like just gush about how much I loved the game but talking to her about like the challenges of running the studio and all this and it was so nice to just like have a candid conversation with her but it just reminds me that a lot of people who are fans of video games don't know that she as a leader exists in this industry and shout out to you Angie. Hell yeah. Shout out to Aloy. Shout out to this news. Yes, this is great news. Bring more. And also anybody who played Forbidden West to the end knows that like clearly more was coming because y'all left a fucking giant cliffhanger there. (laughs) Anyway, no spoilers. In case you missed it, Dragon Age Dreadwolf and Skate Reboot aren't arriving until April 2024 at the earliest, according to some news from GameSpot. Spotted by Twitter user, our boy Shinobi602, EA has previewed its upcoming game slate in the company's fourth quarter and fiscal 2023 results review. You know, these big corporations are required to do these annual earnings calls for their shareholders and smart individuals pay attention and listen. And sometimes some nuggets get dropped like this, that Dragon Age Dreadwolf and Skate won't show up as titles for the company's new fiscal year. So that means unless they're canceled, (laughs) they're not canceled. Don't even. They're down the road a bit. That is disappointing for Dreadwolf for sure. I think we expected it to not come out this year unless they were going to do like a surprise thing like Fallout 4 did where they announced it in June and then launched in November, which is clearly not happening. But (laughs) yeah, keeping it down again is, is a bummer. It's even more of a bummer for Mass Effect fans like me who are like, hey, you announced... You know, the next Mass Effect game, Mass Effect 4, we're fondly calling it. So when's that coming? 2027? Girl, you're going to start a a bet with Paris and he'll say it's coming in, what, 2030? (sighs) No, I can't start a bet with Paris about it. It's going to make me sad. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, this... I can't say it's incredibly surprising, but I mean, who knows when this thing is actually going to come? Because there's been some good like nuggets. We've been, you know, getting some scraps of Dragon Age fans. You know, we just got yeah. the anime Dragon Age Absolution late last year. We knew that the game, they said that the game was playable in alpha state from start to finish. And now they're just kind of focusing on some tweaks and bugs a little bit. There was that comic out with Varys and the Scout from Inquisition. Varys, I call him Varys, Varric, in the Scout from Inquisition. So we've been getting like little tidbits, and these are all setting the scene for Dreadwolf. And if you haven't seen the anime, if you haven't read the comic, just like you should, because there's some really like fascinating things in there. But yeah, I mean, at least we have that to hold us over. But, you know, I was hoping kind of with all of that, maybe it would be coming sooner. 
It's hard to parse with the exodus of senior talent from the studio over the last three years, how much of that is affecting the actual production. You know, like a lot of the stories around the talent leaving have revolved around like, oh, the team is in a good spot and everything's fine and we're leaving. But it's like, wow, there's been a lot of senior leadership that has left Bioware recently. And they do all mostly have in common that they've all been there for a very long time and maybe they just want to move on to other things. But it's curious that they're struggling to put a game out, but then all the senior leadership is leaving. It's like, are they connected in some way? I hope not. I hope that the team is just retooling things and trying to figure out how to launch the best game possible because obviously as fans of both of the franchises, you and I just want the games to be good like a lot of other fans out there want. Yeah, and I mean, they're really at a point where they, I know it sounds cliche and we say it every time, but they really do need to get this right. They really need to get this right. I know Andromeda and Anthem and just like, we don't need to kick that dead horse, but this is, you know, Dreadwolf is a really, really big deal, especially for just like even the lore alone for Dragon Age. So, yeah, I mean, I'll wait. I would rather have an incredibly, like, well-done product that does this game service than something that just kind of feels like, and I don't want to say half-assed Dragon Age 2. Again, don't need to kick that horse. But before this turns into a rant, take your sweet-ass time, friends. I will wait. I'll be playing Breath of the Wild 2. I'm, I keep calling it Breath of the Wild 2, Andrea. Am I just Everybody like, does. It's what? Not, I mean, listen, Tears of the Kingdom is, like, not a great subtitle, okay? It's, Breath of the Wild also wasn't a great subtitle, but, like, here we are. God, Tears of the Kingdom. Tusk. Just call it Breath of the Wild 2. Just I, do I it. You can do gonna, it. Okay, thank you. I'll be playing Breath of the Wild 2 in Diablo 4 until I'm 50, so it's fine. That was perfect. Was yeah. yeah, and then don't forget Jetpack Sex. That's coming later in the oh, year. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. We're okay. busy, so it's okay, Bioware. Take your time. 2023 is full. Thank you. Come again. Doors closed. All right. <laughs> the last quick thing, because this has been a very long news block, Hollow Knight Silk Song has been delayed. It's funny because I feel like people are like, oh, Hollow Knight's coming, Silk Song's coming. I'm like, I feel like this game has been in development for a very long time. Mm-hmm. So the highly anticipated follow up, of course, has been delayed. Team Cherry, marketing and publishing representative Matt Griffin, shared the announcement on Twitter and GameSpot wrote it up. It says, hey, gang, just a quick update. We plan to release in the first half of 2023. Turns out it's done. It's over. 2023 is just cruising on by. But development is still continuing. We're excited how the game is shaping up. It's gotten quite big. So we want to take time to make the game as good as we can. Expect more details from us once we get closer to release. This is good. This is good. Because I know every event that has come up, everyone's like, Silk Song, Silk Song. They're always expecting it to be there and it hasn't been there. And now we know why. But yeah, this yep. was, I was looking into it, revealed in 20. Because Brittany mm-hmm. has gotten quite big. Oh, you know, I don't know. That's what happens when you have jetpack sex. You know what I mean? Things. <laughs> All right, on that note, we're going to take a short break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some video games we've been playing. Stick with us. We'll see you in a second. Just kidding. We're actually not going to take a break because we realized that we're kind of towards the end of the show. I talked a lot about news, which is, you know, a nice change of pace. Last week, there's nothing, girl. Right? The slim pickings. But this week, all kinds of stuff. And I feel like the announcements are just going to keep coming. The rain is going to fall in the news department. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, we've made better songs. We'll work on that, everybody. So, Brittany... Before I talk about where I'm at with Star Wars Jedi Survivor, because I am all the way in. That's what she said because it's getting (laughs) quite big and jetpack sex. (laughs) Let's talk about what you've been playing. Okay. Which one do you want to talk about first? Uh, You know, let's talk about Trinity Trigger. Now I can kind of dive into some of those games that I talked about when we came back from our three week hiatus. Because I, I played a bunch of shit during that time. It was great. Okay, so <clears throat> this is not an Andrea game. So just go ahead. Feel free. Get a drink. Refill your whiskey. <laughs> take a shit. Do what you got to do. So this uh, game. I appreciate you. <laughs> oh, I, froze. I was going to oh, try to pull up a little bit of B-roll first. But, oh. you know, I may grab a snack. We'll see. I can go on with a bad self. I'm kind of less so. She's gone. It's just us friends. Let's just talk about some JRPGs and hot men. Okay. 
Getting distracted here. It turns out, Andrea, this drink I'm having has caffeine in it. Can you tell? All right. So I played Trinity Trigger at PAX East for the first time, and I was sold on it right away. So it's a new action RPG featuring developers from Secret of Mana, Octopath Traveler, and Xenoblade. So, you know, kind of like Say No More, right? It's an insta-try. And you play as a scion who is one of your typical villagers who learns that he is suddenly destined to fight on behalf of a god in a duel to the death. And you are trying to figure out, you, scion, are trying trying to figure out what is going on and you have two friends Elise and Xantis and they accompany you into the the land of Trinitia which I hate saying that by the way Trinitia it just doesn't roll off the tongue anyway uh to figure out like is there any way you can stop this fight do you have to go with this duel whatever whatever it is a fine nostalgic throwback so this game was marketed as a throwback to games of old right and if you've played Secret of Mana it'll feel familiar to you in some ways good in some ways it just feels a little outdated Narratively, you know, this game is a little slow for the first few hours, and it's because it follows this cycle of go to a town, go to a dungeon, fight your way to a new town, go to a dungeon. And I think in some of the older RPGs, that was fine. You know, that was kind of like what we had back in the day, but now it just feels a little bit like an outdated formula, and nothing feels different enough to the point where it's exciting to go through this process. Everything looks more or less the same, but with a different coat of paint. It's all kind of top-down-ish. I don't know, is isometric the word I would use? I don't know, maybe it is. I don't know, this tea is good and it's alcoholic. But it's all like, you know, you have like your snowy area, your grassy area, your volcano area, but it's like, it's all linear and it's, you know, not not all that exciting to like get around. I will say though, the narrative eventually does get good. But by that point, I was, you know, I don't know, maybe like 10, 10 hours in. It's not like a super long game. You can finish it in a relatively short amount of time compared by other RPG standards. But it clicked a little too late, but it was still interesting enough. And because the the characters are so fun and the writing in this game, I will say, is the character writing is very, very well done and very entertaining. And the voice acting is also like some of the best. You know, generally when you have Japanese and English voice acting, Actors, the Japanese voice acting is usually way better than the English because the English can just come across kind of cheesy, especially if the localization hasn't been well done. But I'm happy to say that this game absolutely crushed it in all of those fields. So if you're into some fun characters that make you laugh and smile and have great acting, like Trinity Trigger has that. So like, that's wonderful. And the music in this game is absolutely phenomenal. Obviously, the composer Hiroki Kikuta, who was the composer for Secret of Mana and Trials of Mana is back. And this is probably my favorite soundtrack of 2023 so far. Such an awesome awesome, awesome nostalgia trip. And it has the town music, the battle music, like all of it is just really good. And so I would say like those two main things, the characters, the acting and the music, and there's a little sense of nostalgia in there. And the combat is in real time. If you've played Secret of Mana, again, you'll kind of know what to expect here. When you need to pull up a menu, you pull up a little radial menu and it pauses the entire game which isn't so bad when you're playing by yourself, but when you're playing it co-op, which by the way, this game support up to three players local co-op, it can get really cumbersome and it can be a real pain in the ass, especially if you save a lot or heal a lot like I do. Jason got very annoyed with me because I kept pausing the action. The combat is fine. You know, it's your basic, there's combos and there's things you can do to customize your your weapons and you have eight different weapons. They play a little differently, but at the end of the day, you're just going to be pushing A, 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 wait for your stamina meter to recharge, A, 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 A. Unfortunately, it's nothing special. I will say again, the most special part of it is the music and the character writing and the acting. But if you are looking for something a little nostalgic, a fun little throwback, it's there. It's an option for you. We don't, you know, it's, it's fine. This is the hard part, Andrea, is it could have been great. It could have been a great game, but there's just some things that it did. It leaned too much into nostalgia, but unfortunately, the nostalgia turned more into this is an outdated system, and it doesn't work well for this day and age. There are some things you can do to lean into the nostalgia, but you can't lean into all those things we did back in the 90s because it doesn't work as great. So that is Trinity Trigger. That's interesting because I feel like we've seen some games in this category be really successful I mean even like looking at what Octopath did you know that long ago obviously the latest couple entrants from Fire Emblem have also done really great I wonder why they made some of those decisions like leaning on some of those much older tropes in the category when like there's so much potential Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's probably for people people like me. We're still around, you know, and 
you don't see a lot of games being made with those old systems anymore. And understandably so, you know, they're not that hugely popular. And I never thought, I don't think Trinity Trigger ever set out to be like the next Final Fantasy by any means, but a very niche audience. Unfortunately, like most of the reviews and people I talked to who played are kind of aligned with me that it just felt a little outdated and not very good. I mean, not very good isn't super nice, but it's not what it could have been. And, you know, like... For example, there's bosses in this game, and bosses have an armor gauge. You have to deplete the armor gauge before you can deal actual damage to the boss, but the armor gauge refills maybe every, like, 15 seconds. So you only have about 15 seconds to deal damage to the boss, then the armor gauge refills, and then you have to deplete it, and then it refills. And it's just, like, a a really stupid system. So it's little things like that that hold it back. I will say again, the story did get good. So if you're looking for a fun little trip, if you're looking for some fun characters, like... Check it out. Check it out. The music fucking good, though. Fuck. It slaps, oh, as yeah. the kids say. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Shall we talk about Minecraft Legends? Let's talk about Minecraft Legends. Oh, also, I don't want to get sued. Thank you, XD, for the Trinity Trigger game key. Please, please don't come at me. You know, I want to keep my house. Yeah, so let's talk about Minecraft Legends. This also And was thank a- you, Xbox, for the early access for Minecraft Legends. See, you're looking out for me, baby girl. Yeah, so this is an RTS slash action game developed by Mojang and Blackbird and published by Xbox Game Studios last month. I think it was like April like 15th-ish, 18th, I don't know. It doesn't matter. So here's the thing. I'm going to put out a disclaimer. RTS is not my bread and butter. It's like not even like a crumb and a morsel of butter. But I do like playing this genre. Actually, Age of Empires 4. I had a lot of fun with that game. And that was partly why I was excited to hop into this. I mean, it's Minecraft, which is like the most charming freaking thing on Earth. And then... And an RTS genre, which is I don't dabble in a lot again, but when I do play, I do tend to have a good time. I do prefer to play these games cooperatively because this is Jason's bread and butter. Like, this is Are his. there a lot of real-time strategy games, though, that are co-op? I mean, there's not, right? Because I can't think of any. Campaign co-op. Well, Halo Wars 2, right? That's one of them. Mm, okay, yeah. That one was fun. That was one of the last ones I played, and then Age of Empires 4, and then this one. So it's been a minute. And Age of Empires 4, I don't think is even the campaign co-op. I think it's just skirmishes, if I remember correctly. Anywho, so why I was really excited to play this was, again, like, the last RTS experiences I had were fun, but also in the preview footage that we saw, trailer was like, yo, like, someone can go out and be the person who collects the resources, and the other person can be the one that goes out and defeats all the piglins and all the bases and whatnot. And that's what had me really excited because I am someone who admittedly in Age of Empires, I just like to tend to my little base. I like to get my farmers going. I like to get my buildings upgraded and collect resources. You know, that's that's like what I love the most. And Jason loves the combat the most. So I thought like this would be perfect. Unfortunately, it didn't really come together in the way that I had hoped. I know combining Minecraft and an action RTS and that, I feel like they kind of try to do something a little different with the genre that in case, you know, in, this, in the way I've experienced the RTS anywhere, you have a base, you build it up. You venture out, you do combat. This one, you don't really have a you don't have a base necessarily. You just kind of build stuff on the fly, and you do have an area where you go to create new buildings for your uh, for your little squad, if you will. Um, but it's really weird how you do that. It's like you have to go back to like your main. I keep calling it a base, but it's not even a base. It's like a little area. And once you have enough materials, you can create new buildings and new um, other things like that. I can't remember what else. Outposts. Maybe. Yeah, outposts. There you go. Thank you. And in order to do that, though, you have to almost play like this game of Tetris where you have to build a building, put it on a little like Tetris-y like block area in order to unlock it. And when I say Tetris-y build, like you have to like turn it around and make it fit into a certain area. It's weird. I've never seen that before. And it's a baffling decision that, again, like I'm very new to the genre, but it just seemed like more cumbersome than it needed to be. And I think in its attempt to make the genre a little bit more simpler for, again, this is a fantastic family game for, for someone who maybe like just wants to play this casually, but almost made it a little bit more complicated for me because there's a learning curve there. And I didn't know why I had to do it this way and why I had to build things here, but I couldn't do that here and why I had to, I don't know. It wasn't exciting enough and it didn't have all the in-depth things that I wanted from it. And I think that's why it maybe for me, it just fell a little short. Now, granted, like this game is going to be for a lot of people. It's cute. It's charming. It's going to be good for family members who, you know, maybe just want to like fuck around and find out. It's there for you. But for me, it just didn't hold my attention enough to be interesting enough to want to keep 
plane because you have like this world and it's a cool concept. You have this open world. You have all these bases around there. And it's like, you know, you skedaddle over to a base and you have to defeat like a crystal thing that's in the middle of their base. So what I would do is I would build, I would get rid of the, I think it's called nether. It's basically like enemy territory. And I would run around the perimeter of their base and I would put these little like things down that would slowly get rid of their territory and make it more of our territory so we could build on it. And then I would build towers and Jason would command the little troop friends that he had. But the AI pathfinding was not good. Like they would always get stuck on bridges and that was always frustrating. And there's really no way to command everybody at once unless they're right next to you. And so, yeah, I mean, I applaud them for trying something different, but this just wasn't really for me. And I tried going back to it later, like maybe a week later. And uh, I was like, this is, I don't want to, I don't want to have to try to figure out the mechanics of this. And I just kind of put it down after. And that made me a little bit sad. You know, it was a little repetitive and it wasn't really for me. And that's that's okay, though, because it's for other people and that's fine. So, again, not not a bad game by any means. I agree with the, the Metacritic rating. I think is at like a 7, a 6.9 maybe or a 7 out of 10. Just kind of fell short. Again, like it's just a bummer because I think this one had a lot more potential. I think it's good, though, that Moying as a studio is exploring other options, just like we're seeing Riot explore things beyond yeah. League of Legends. Like, I think, like, if they want to you know, keep the studio going and have the people at, at the studio not get burnt out or get bored of making the same game forever. They need to explore some of these things. And I think it's clearly, you know, been successful. Is it the runaway success that the original game is? No, but like topping that's going to be probably oh, impossible. Oh, no. I mean, like um, Dungeons was really good. I love Minecraft Dungeons. That one was like, that was great. And like I said, like, yeah, good for them. Good for you for trying something different. You know, it's not yeah. a terrible game by any means. I think it would have been more successful if it had kind of stuck to the tried and true RTS shenanigans that you have come to expect from that genre. But you know what? Like, cool. It's okay. This might be baby's first RTS and maybe someone will really love it. And then I feel like that genre is kind of dying anyway, which makes me sad. Or maybe I'm just out of touch. You're not out of touch. The genre, I think, is strong but boutique, right? Ooh, like they're a like small, that. smaller audience because it's a very tough type of game to get good at because you have to invest a lot of man hours into it yeah. or woman hours or person hours into it. Because of that, you know, the genre is thriving. It's just thriving on a smaller scale. But the people who love and play RTSs are buying RTSs all the time and buying content in those games because there's not a lot of good ones that come out. So yeah. again, like it's a boutique genre within video games. Mm. And so I think we're still going to see more. So I appreciate that they, you know, were exploring that genre. I just think with their audience skewing younger, it was an interesting choice because most RTS people, people who like are hardcore RTS players who like that's their genre are much older historically PC players right because all the yeah. best RTSs are on PC there's been some very good ones on mobile but console just hasn't really been the land of the RTS and that's okay like there's other genres that thrive well on console and so I think maybe this is just like a lesson learned for Moying as a studio and for Xbox to say we should look at genres that are going to resonate more with our audience like Dungeons did and go, what can we do within the Minecraft universe that feels like a good fit for our audience and also a game that's fun for them to play? And I just think that maybe choosing an RTS was not the right genre for them to pivot into. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. And again, I think it could have worked really well, but because they did things a little different than your standard RTS, it just maybe that my expectations were wrong. But, you know, there's there was no none of the simming stuff. Right. And when you gather resources, I didn't talk about this. You have to select a specific like a tool. If you want to mine this resource or that resource or this resource, you have to be on the right tool or you can't select it. Eventually, you do unlock the ability to mass select everything. And then you can just hover your little cursor around and it'll mine everything that's in that general area for a penalty. But if you want to be the most efficient, you have to like scroll through your options to pick what it is you want to like mine so again just sort of a, you know some weird weird decisions there but again like you said good for you for trying just give us another dungeons or yeah. dungeons well i guess i've been playing in some dungeons in yeah. star wars jedi survivor obligatory post or disclaimer oh, that yeah. thank you ea for providing me with code for playing this game even though the game's out now it's not advanced release anymore and also 
Yes, my husband works for Disney Games, who worked on this game. As we talked about already, this game is this game is amazing. This game is awesome. They have been patching it, which is great. They've pushed a major PC patch this week. I haven't heard from PC players exactly how it's going because at the time of recording, the patch was just going live. But they are clearly working on some of the performance issues, which are legitimate issues. And if you're going to put out a AAA game with the Star Wars name under the world's biggest publisher, EA, with a developer with Gravitas, like Respawn, you got to get your port right. And they clearly <laughs> like whiffed on the PC port of this game in a really hard way. And it's disappointing. Mm-hmm. And PC players are upset about it. And they deserve to be. But I'm not playing on PC. I'm playing on PS5. And I have had a couple of bugs here and there and some texture pop in and pop out. But overall, the game has played very smoothly for me. And uh, I just love this game. I've been up way past my bedtime (laughs) the last five or six nights in a row just trying to finish this game because I can only dedicate like from the hours of like 9 p.m. to sometimes 1 or 2 a.m. to play. And so it just takes a while because I'm exploring. I don't want to just power through the story to get to the end. And I want to like have all my stim pack upgrades and feel it, you know, like I'm like a powerful Jedi knight, you know, that Count Kestis is. But I just want to shout out how wonderful the NPCs in this game are. Mm. When it comes to the What's Good Game Awards later in the year where we talk about like NPCs that we love, I know that I'm going to be calling out several from this game. They're just so awesome. I loved Grease from the first game. He's fantastic here too. But there's new characters that I just love. Like I called out Doma in our preview coverage. She's fantastic. And then we fondly call him Scuba Steve here in our household, but his name is Scuba Stev. Scuba Stev. Yeah, he's like this fisherman character who's this really, (laughs) he's just like, he's got like this thick Scottish accent. (laughs) And he's just amazing. He just tells these tall tales every time you run into him in the world. And I, I highly recommend you seek him out if you haven't found him already because the way that he unlocks certain things at the saloon, at the cantina, you want to unlock him early because you just run into him as you're doing like campaign missions or side quests. He's just like there with collectibles and stuff. Mm -hmm. But if you don't unlock him, you have to go back to all those places to find him later on. So Uh, I'm like, yeah, you you should probably find him earlier than later. But I did a lot of exploring early in the game. And it was interesting because John John kind of like mainlined and powered through and, and tried to get to credits because he wanted to see the whole story. And I was like, I'm that person that wants to get all the upgrades and mm-hmm. go the, to the nooks and crannies and get all the chests and things. And so he sat down and watched me play. And I thought it was fun that I discovered things and he got to see like whole cutscenes and missions and things that he never actually saw in his ah. playthrough of the game. Yeah, okay. And he's like, wow, I didn't even know that there was a whole mission with this particular character, you know, to keep it spoiler free in that regard. And I was like, yeah, man, you got to like go talk to this person. And it's kind of very traditional RPG in that sense. And I love that they included that where after you complete a big main story mission, you can go back to Pylune Saloon on Kobo, your kind of like base. And you can talk to people and they'll have conversations with you that will then unlock side quests and other parts of missions. And then you can go on these paths. But in addition to that, just on a search for a side quest where I got lost, I ended up like in this part of the map and I just kept going in and finding these things. And I found all these enemies and I was like, am I supposed to be here? But sometimes you, when you play open world games, Britt, I'm sure you've had this experience where you can tell that you're not supposed to be there. Because the game's like either, like you're in place and there's like no NPCs there, nothing's populated. And you're like, I feel like I'm supposed to come here later and there'll be something here, but there's nothing here now. And then you know you should turn around, but then again, you feel like you should explore since you're there already. Yeah, I guess. Yes. 100%. Or you get to an area that you're not supposed to be at and the enemies just womp on oh, you. Oh, yeah. Yep. And you're like, okay, I'm going to clearly come here later when I'm like more powerful. And this was neither of those things. And I was like, this just feels like a regular part of the open world that I can play through that I just didn't discover. But it feels like a really big piece. Mm. And John walked in on me playing it. And he was like, oh, this seems really far into the story you hear already. I go, what story mission? What I thought was really great about the way that Respawn handled that was that I got to play through up to a point. 
and it felt like just a normal exploratory. I got like it triggered, you know, cutscenes and dialogue and this and this. And I, you know, got to open some chests and this. And then I just like, you know, fast traveled back to a different part of the of Kobo and went about my business. And then later on, I went ah. back. The story brought me back to that area. But I got to then just fast travel to the point I had unlocked after yes. like, this giant section that I'd already done. And it just That's seamlessly transitioned into the next beat of the story campaign. And I was like, yes, respawn. I this is what love, I want. I love that. And I love it too. And I think you touched on this. When you do something that actually is like an early step in a quest, but the game recognizes that you did the thing. And so there's actually different dialogue options depending on whether or not you did the thing. You, they'll be like, oh, go here and like wipe your butt. And you'll be like, I already wiped my butt. And they're like, oh, good for you for wiping your butt right on. So here's the next thing we're going to do. And it's like, yeah, I like that. I like being able to explore an area before the quest actually takes place because it just feels more real. I was yes. here before. Yeah. Oh, I need uh, to play it more. <laughs> yes. It's so good. And I'm glad that I did because it unlocked a cool gameplay mechanic because th th that's one of my like, it's not a gripe because it's clearly the Metroidvania elements of this game. But, you know, you see things in the world where you're like, where it's like a blocked path because you clearly need like a gameplay mechanic that you haven't like yeah. unlocked yet. And so by just going up to this place and exploring it, I unlocked this gameplay mechanic and I didn't have to trigger a story campaign mission to do it. I just got there through exploration. And so I was like, oh, cool. I can travel around different parts and go to these things where I blocked before. And then it like seamlessly progressed and transitioned once I finally caught up to that point in the main campaign. And I don't think I've ever seen a game manage that so seamlessly yeah. to make it feel like my immersion wasn't broken and that I was rewarded by just running around and exploring the world and wasn't punished for doing so or made to break the immersion or made to think that I'm not supposed to be here yet. And I'm like, I love, I love that. I love that too. I feel like you see the other side of that in a lot of games where like maybe there's huge there's a huge boulder like blocking your path and you're like, "Oh, this this boulder like is blocking my path. I can't go. I can't go there." And then by the time like the story mission takes place, you're like, "Oh, we blew up that boulder." It's like, "No. Let me go past there. Don't be scared. Commit to your story and commit to your land." Again, I need to play it more. I've been playing some games that I haven't it's like I have a weird backlog, Andrew. I'm playing Alan Wake right now. I'm playing Oxen Free. I'm going through some weird, some weird stuff right now. So I uh, need to get back to Survivor though. But it's kind of hard because fucking Zelda comes out this week. And then we have Diablo and then we have Final Fantasy 16. I know. And I still haven't finished Ugh. Dead Island 2. See? Like I haven't gotten to the final mission of that game yet either. <sighs> what are we gonna do, Andrew? And we have more games to play, and I'm like Hey, Gameloft, could you do me a solid and like push the Dreamlight Valley update to July? That would really help. <laughs> really help me. I finally feel like I can stop checking in on my valley. I basically just pop in, check Scrooge's shop, and then pop out. And I'm like, Yeah, because you're good, caught up. Done. You're like, I'm good. Yes. Thank God, because I have to spend time playing other video games. There are lots of other games that I want to play. Yeah. But yeah. I We're love it. I love it. Video We're games, just two everybody. Women, Andrew. We can't do everything. It's true. It's true. We can't. Uh, but we're going to do our best <laughs> to bring you burps and as much content as possible. Um, we have some fun interviews coming up over the next couple of weeks, which is yeah. very exciting. And then, of course, you know, we've got our eight ball episode coming up, you know, at the end of the month, which we're very excited about. So lots of stuff happening, everybody. Oh, I'm so excited. June is going to be a great month. It's going to feel like it's the return of the ghost of E3. I don't know what we're calling it. The key threes. Key three. The key three, friends. It's good. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. It's been forever. Well, it's been, yeah, since 2019. <laughs> For me, anyway. I know you did Summer Game Fest last year. Yeah. But the play days were really fun. Yeah. So I'm, you know, fingers crossed, hoping that we're going to get people that are going to show us their video games in person IRL. <laughs> More on that to come as we, you know, get information from from publishers about what they're doing. But I like that people are confirming stuff and being like, yeah, we got the Xbox thing and we got Ubisoft Forward and we got Game Fest Live and, you know, just looking to you, PlayStation. What you doing? Oh, doing yeah. Anything? Yeah, there is that, that little rumor that's going around that at the end of May, they're going to have their little showcase. And by little, it's probably going to be huge. But I mean, I sure, I sure hope so. Fingers yeah. crossed. I'd love a PlayStation showcase. 
Right. Not a state of play, a show. The verbiage really matters with PlayStation. Historically, like the showcases and the state of plays are very different kinds of announcements. So we'll keep hawking it for you. But thank you so much to everybody for hanging with us this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to support us again, patreon.com slash what's good games, the anniversary VOD up on Twitch and YouTube. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.